Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Matt, and uh, I get to spend some time bringing the word this morning. It is on a weekend like this that we are reminded of the New Testament's teaching that our primary citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven, and where we also give thanks for those who have given their lives so that we can freely worship our king as a part of that kingdom. We are thankful for those who have done that. And one of the ways that we got to worship this morning was through a parent-child dedication. And it was a, a special dedication because not only were we dedicating parents and children, but in this particular dedication with the Griffith family, uh, they also have recently adopted the two kids that we had a chance to dedicate. And so we were celebrating their adoption, Jackson and Autumn. And I got to say, they're, they're seven and six or eight and seven, I, one of those. And uh, as they were up here, Nathan was pronouncing the blessing on them. And when he went over to pronounce the blessing on Autumn, uh, Jackson, the younger brother, went over and raised his hand and put his arm around his sister like this, I was so thankful that Nathan had to talk next. <laughs> oh my goodness. The lump in my throat was not going to allow me to speak next. It was unbelievable. So thankful for what God is doing in that family's life and in our church family. We are in the middle of a sermon series where we are looking at the book of Romans called Romans Road. And as we've been walking this Romans Road together, as a part of our review each week, I have been breaking out my kindergarten-level drawings, which may be an insult to kindergartners. But if you'll work with me, let's do a little bit of review. What have we seen over the course of this? First of all, we have seen that God is righteousness. He's not just righteous. He is righteousness itself. There's not some standard of right and wrong out there that God's just really good at living up to. No, the standard of right and wrong is determined by God's character. And so it is right to love because God is love. Love wouldn't make any sense within a framework or a dynamic that is determined by survival of the fittest. Right? Love is right, and we recognize it as right because God is love. And so God is righteousness. He determines right and wrong by his character. And he made us, our design, humanity's design, was that we would match his righteousness. We were made in his image. We were made in his likeness so that we would reflect his character. And so we were made to match the character of God as human beings. But one of the things that Romans has clearly shown to us is that we are broken. That because of the sinful nature that we have, we all choose to sin, disobey God, and we are broken instead of reflecting his character perfectly as we were designed. And the good news that we've seen in Romans is that because God loves us so much, he did not want us to stay like this, but sent his son, Jesus Christ, so that those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior experience his salvation. And that salvation has included justification, as we have seen here, where Jesus takes my unrighteousness and the penalty for it upon himself on the cross, and I get the righteousness of Jesus 
given to me in my account so that God declares us to be righteous and innocent because the righteousness of Jesus has been credited to me. But not only are we justified, the last couple of chapters has talked about the fact that we're experiencing sanctification. God has made us clean. And one of the ways that that sanctification is working its way out is by God's Spirit's presence in our lives. Every day we're becoming more like Jesus. We're growing to become like Christ. We've been made new in Him, and now we are living a new life in Him. And as we've been walking through this the last couple of chapters, it all sounds so smooth, doesn't it? We place our faith and our trust in Jesus, and then it is just a smooth ride to Righteousville. Just a, a constant ascent to righteousness and perfection. Has that been your experience? As you've placed your faith in Jesus, has it just been a nice, smooth ride to righteousness? No, that, that wasn't the Apostle Paul's experience either, and I emphasize Apostle Paul. It was not his experience, and he recognized that when he placed his faith and trust in Jesus, he actually entered into a war, a, a battle within him, and he's going to talk about that battle today, and I want us to recognize that battle today as well. Sometimes when we experience that battle within us over right and wrong, uh, when we struggle and, and, and experience that fight, we go, do we even know Jesus if we're involved in this fight? But part of what I want us to see today and what Paul wants us to see today is that fight is there because we've trusted in Jesus. That fight between right and wrong in our life is there as followers of Jesus. So let's look at Paul's experience. He begins with this. Did that which is good, pause there, we didn't make it very far, right? What is good? That which is good. Well, if you are here last week, the first 12 verses of this chapter were all about the law of God and God's commandments. He just ended off by calling them holy, and now he refers to them here as that which is good, the commandments of God. Did that which is good, God's commandments, then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin." And through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am the, of the flesh, sold under sin. What is Paul saying here? He's saying the problem isn't with the commandment. The commandment is holy. The commandment is good. The problem is with that part of us, with that, that thing inside of us that hears the commandment and still breaks it. Paul says that there are these lines that are drawn. And they're drawn for our good. They're holy lines. The problem isn't the lines that are drawn. The problem is that part in each and every one of us that immediately wants to put our toes across the line as soon as it's drawn. I, I was talking to somebody this week, and they said, if you want to illustrate, this is a mom with, with young kids, if you want to illustrate our sin nature, why don't you just bring my toddler up on stage? And tell him to do something, and I guarantee he'll do the opposite. Right? It had been a challenging day for that family. A little bit of uh, behavior challenge that they were experiencing. But friends who have raised toddlers, is that experience hers alone? No, absolutely not, because there is something that is broken inside of us where if there is a line drawn, we want to get those toes as close. Oh, across. Yep, okay, I'm fully across. 
That is a part of what is within us. Paul says the problem's not with the line. The problem's not with the commandment. It's good. It's holy. The problem is inside of us. As a matter of fact, he says, the commandments play this good role in our lives of showing sin to be sin. That happened in me this week. Uh, My wife and I, uh, we had a disagreement, and I said some things that were unkind. Isn't that a nice sanitary way to put it? We had a disagreement, and I said some things that were unkind. And a few minutes later, I was off by myself, and God's Spirit began to work in my life. And He began to bring conviction. And what did He use to bring conviction in my life? Ephesians 5.25, right? Husbands, what does it say? Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome talk come from your mouth, but only what is useful in building others up according to their need that they may be benefited, right? And the Spirit began to bring this conviction through what? Through the commandments of God. Now, we don't have to have the commandments memorized for the Spirit to do that, but He brings that conviction through the commandments into our lives in order to instruct us, hey, that's wrong, that's sinful, and He brings that conviction. And what happens in the believer's life when that happens? I say, God, forgive me. God, forgive me, and I'm so grateful for Your grace and Your mercy. I'm so desperately in need of it. And after confession to God, where did I go next? Erica, forgive me. Right? Because when God's Spirit works in our lives, He works through the commandments of God to show us our sin is sin. The commandments do their job. It's Paul that's broken. It's you that's broken. It's me that's broken. Paul said in verse 14, I've been sold under sin. What does he mean by that? Well, I think the remaining verses show us what Paul means by being sold under sin. In the next set of verses, it says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. Paul says, I have this deep desire to do what is right. And that desire to do what is right shows that I acknowledge the commandments are good. And yet, even though I fully acknowledge the commandments are good, am I doing them? So many times I'm not, Paul says. So many times I'm not. He goes on to say something similar a couple of verses later. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Paul says, as a follower of Jesus Christ... I want desperately to do what Christ wants me to do. I want to do what is right. A follower of Jesus Christ wants in their heart and their mind more than anything to do what is right. That's what I want. I I sat down and scribbled out some things that I want every day in my life and that I know I want today in my life, and they included this. I want to love you today so that I think of what is best for you with my words and actions. I want to be free from insecurity so that I don't think about what you're thinking of me, but instead, what is best for you. I want my whole attention to be on God 
right now. Not on what others look like or what's for lunch or the noise that I just heard. I want it to be on Him. I want to witness with absolute courage and wisdom this week. I want to lead my family and gather them together in the presence of God for times of worship. I want to have absolute patience with my family and my coworkers. I want to communicate to my wife that she is honored and that I am crazy about her and that she is the great gift in my life. I want to seek God with my decisions and be a man totally committed to prayer in each and every decision that I face. That is what I want. Uh, Unquestioned in my heart and my mind, that is what I want. I want to be like Jesus. I want to do what is right. And yet, is that what will happen this week? Sometimes yes, and sometimes no. If past performance is any indication of future returns, right? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. And even those things that I do that I want to do, I won't do them perfectly the way that I want to do them. And that's the believer's frustration because the Holy Spirit dwells within us. We want to do what Christ wants us to do more than anything, and in our daily lives, we keep failing to do it over and over again. Paul says, not only are there things I I want to do that I don't seem to be doing, but there's things I don't want to do that I keep doing over and over again. And, And yes, there are things I don't want to do. I made a list of those as well. I don't ever want to lash out at anger with my family. I don't ever want to speak about others negatively behind their back. I don't want to covet the things that my friends have. I don't want to be dishonest. I don't ever want to watch something that I shouldn't. I don't ever want to make decisions that are all about me. But like Paul, I do. Right? Anyone? I do the things I don't want to do. I don't do the things I want to do. This is the disciples' frustration. More than anything, we want to be like Jesus. More more than anything, we want to do what is right. And yet, day in and day out, there's still sin. Why is this the condition of Paul's life? Why is this the condition of my life? He tells us in verses 17 and 18, So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh." For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Because he is saved, Paul says, I have this desire in my mind and my heart to do what is right. That is what the believer's desire is. And yet, it isn't happening. Why? What's stopping him? It is what Paul here and throughout the New Testament calls the flesh. That old residue of sin that sticks with us beyond our conversion. Those patterns that we have gotten into, that we're free from. We don't have to live in those anymore, but the patterns are still there. If you want a picture of the flesh, and this is an illustration, so don't push it too far or it will fall apart. Uh, But if you think of your life like a tree... There are these thick, poisonous vines that are wrapping all around the tree that are called sin. And sin is choking out the tree. Those vines of sin are choking out the tree. 
But at the point that we place our faith in Jesus Christ, the roots on those vines are cut and they die. While the roots on those vines are cut and those vines are now dead so that you no longer have to do what sin requires, you are free to do what is right, that residue of sin is still all over our life. Those dead vines are still all over us and they have to get picked off bit by bit from our life. That's the flesh. And Paul says, I'm a new creation in Christ. I've been made righteous. It's not the real me that is doing these things anymore. It's that sinful flesh and residue that still resides because of the patterns and practices of my life. I have to pick it off bit by bit and I'm still in that process. It's, a, it's frustrating. It's a battle. It's a war. And so he says, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Paul says, there is this intense war going on. Paul has committed himself to Jesus Christ. And so he wants to do what is right. He wants to love God and love other people. That's what the law hangs on that he's talking about here. I want to love God and love other people in everything that I do. My delight is in God's commands. My delight is in the word of God. He says, but there is another force at work in me, in my members. And you'll remember from a couple of weeks ago, we said that Greek word for members means the parts of my body. And that force that is at work in the parts of my body says to my eyes, go ahead and look at that. And to my ears, go ahead and listen to that. And to my tongue, go ahead and say that. And to my mind, go ahead and dwell on that. And to my heart, Go ahead and value that. It is constantly whispering those things to our members. Can you sense Paul's frustration here between what he desperately desires as a follower of Jesus and his reality? Can you sense that frustration? Because I want to make sure we get the big point here, and that is that the life of a disciple is a war. The life of a disciple is an internal war. It's a battle. It's a wrestling match. It's a marathon. Now, we don't necessarily want to hear that in America because what do we like in America? We like quick and easy. Uh, Quick and easy diets. Quick and easy exercise regimens that are magical. We like quick and easy solutions. And what the New Testament teaches us again and again is discipleship is not quick and easy. Becoming like Jesus is a war. It's a battle. It takes endurance. It takes striving. That's not a a popular message in our culture. I have a book at home called The Three-Minute Devotional for Busy People. Right? Get righteous in just three minutes a day. That's a a nod to our culture. We like things quick and easy. When I was in seminary, I was taught, preach for 22 minutes. Make sure you open with a story, make sure you close with a story, and make sure each of your three points 
is extremely applicable to people so that it gives them something they can immediately do in order to become more like Jesus. Right? What was the, the lesson? Make it quick. Make it easy. But becoming like Jesus isn't quick and easy. When we started Core Discipleship, one of the things that we said is, we want to make sure that this is long and it is difficult. <laughs> Recognizing that not everybody was going to choose to be a part of it. But that long and difficult is the pathway to discipleship. Quick and easy is not. And so we were like, yeah, there's going to be quite a bit of homework and people are going to come for two and a half hours on a night. We said, yep, it's going to be a commitment. Right? Because we're in a war. It takes endurance. It takes striving. Let me just give you some passages to talk about this a little bit. For we walk in the flesh. We are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's a war. And there is an enemy who wants to lead you into sin and temptation. And as long as you're in this body, that war against sin and temptation in the enemy is going to be going on. Paul says to Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul says, Timothy, you've entered into the faith. And what is that? It's a fight. It's a battle. It's a war. Fight, Timothy. Fight. Near the end of his life, Paul says, I made it. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. What does it mean to have kept the faith? It means to have fought the fight that is before us. It means to have run the race. And the Greek word here for race doesn't mean a 100-meter sprint. It means a marathon. Are marathons difficult? I wouldn't know. I've never done one. <laughs> but my understanding is they're difficult. Right? They take endurance. They're hard. Paul says, yep, I've made it through the marathon that is involved for the follower of Jesus. Jesus says to his followers, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. The word translated strive here is agonizomai, agonize to get through the narrow door, right? With all of your energy, fight to get through the narrow door. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul says, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're involved in a wrestling match. We got any wrestlers in here? It's an intense sport. It takes crazy amounts of endurance. If you've ever watched wrestlers train, you know the amount of effort that is involved in getting ready to participate in that sport. And he says, for as long as you are alive in this world, believer, you're involved in a wrestling match against that which is evil. Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Not that I've already obtained this, Paul says, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward 
to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says the believer's life is one of pressing on, one of straining forward, one of pressing on again, expending maximum effort to know Christ. In Hebrews 12, 1 through 4, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, anything that might hinder you from knowing Christ, lay it aside, and the sin which clings closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Stop whining. Has your blood been shed in your resistance against sin? He says, this is a fight. This is a battle. Get ready, you guys. It takes endurance. It takes striving. Paul says, since I have entered into this life of Christ, my life has been a constant battle, a constant war. It has been a life of endurance, a life of striving. And he says, and so often, I fail. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. And you can hear his frustration in this passage. And so he concludes verse 24 wretched man that I am. What could save a wretch like Paul? What could save a wretch like me? Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul sees his life as a follower of Jesus and the ups and the downs and the constant battle that goes on. His desire for righteousness, and yet that righteousness isn't perfected in him. And he says, I don't want to go on like this forever. I, I don't want to run this marathon forever. I don't want to fight this wrestling match forever. I'm tired of the ups and downs that are constantly mine because I live in a broken world and I live in a broken body. He says, I want to reach a place where I am totally righteous the way that Jesus intended. Who can rescue me from this current existence and bring me to a place where I reflect the perfect righteousness that my heart and my mind so desperately desire? I want you to notice that Paul asks who will deliver me from this body of death? He does not ask, what will deliver me from this body of death? Salvation, deliverance, does not depend on a what, a series of three magic things that you carry out, a series of commandments from the Old Testament law that you keep, a series of good works that you happen to do. It isn't a what that delivers us. It is a who that delivers us. And this is so important, okay? Uh, if you'll focus with me here. This is so important because all of that stuff I was just talking about, the fighting, the striving, the wrestling, the effort, that is never intended to be me fighting in my own power for righteousness. Instead, 
The design is that all of that effort, all of that striving, all of that fighting will be to know Jesus all the more, have greater intimacy with God, and then he produces the righteousness in my life. And so we do not fight and strain with all that we have in order to try and love better, in order to try and be more patient. No, we fight and we strive and we strain with everything we have to know God all the more. And when we know God all the more, he produces fruit in our life. They're not the fruit of Matt's intense effort. They are the fruit of the spirit that are at work in our life. He produces those fruit in us. So that Jesus says in John chapter 15, the secret to producing much fruit in your life is abiding in me. And when you seek that close connection with me, I produce intense amounts of fruit in your life. It is a who that rescues us. And our aim is to know him, seek him, and have great intimacy with him. He produces the righteousness. Who is it that can save us? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. God can save him through Jesus Christ. As long as he's in this body, as long as he's in this broken world, is he going to have this fight on his hands? Absolutely he is. But it's Jesus who can bring ultimate rescue into Paul's life and bring him to a place where his righteousness matches the character of God where one day he will dwell with God and all that is good forever. And as we move into Romans chapter 8, we're going to see Romans chapter 8 talks to us about the redemption of all things, the redemption of all of God's creation and the redemption of his people so that we enter into that place of total righteousness. I've got a special guest preacher coming in to deliver that message to you named John Tolley that I'm excited. He's going to bring that message and uh, it's going to be great uh, as he walks through that with us. My friends, Paul's message I think for us throughout the New Testament and my message for you today is keep fighting. Keep running the race. Keep after. Is it hard? Yep, absolutely. It's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. That's why God brought us together in this family for support and for care. That's why God gives us the avenues of prayer so that we can depend upon him and be with him. But if we fight the good fight and overcome sin and temptation and reach a place of ultimate victory in Jesus Christ on the day of judgment, what incredible blessings are ours? What spoils are ours? The book of Revelation talks about these spoils that are ours if we are victorious in this war. It says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers or overcomes, some of your translations say, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers, who is victorious, who overcomes, will not be hurt by the second death. Amen. The one who conquers, who overcomes, will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before the angels. And in the last, the second to last chapter of the Scripture, and he said to him, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. 
To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. What spoils there are in the victory for those who belong to Jesus. Keep fighting to draw close to him. Keep fighting for intimacy with God so that we reach that place like Paul did where we can say, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. And we can hear from our God, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. I want to conclude this message by just praying over you for strength in the fight. And so if you guys would bow your heads with me, I want to pray for all of us. Father, I pray for every person in here who has entered into this fight, the war that is ours when we become followers of Jesus, a war between good and evil within us. God, I ask that you would be at work continuing to pick away that residue of the flesh from our life and enliven us and strengthen us in the power of your Spirit. Lord, the the New Testament is filled with so many uh, commendations for those who have endurance, for those who persevere. And so I pray that we would be a people of endurance, a people of perseverance. And as we run this race, as we fight this wrestling match, that we might do it together, loving each other well, lifting each other, supporting each other, seeking righteousness together, seeking Christ-likeness together. Lord, continue to encourage us with the good news. That as those who are followers of Jesus, those who want more than anything to be like you, that there will come a day for those who overcome where we will be perfectly like Jesus in all that we do. God, I pray that you'd continue to strengthen us with this news and build this hope into every fiber of our being. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.